Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Empire Life podcast. I'm your host, Allison Ramsey, and I'm the founder of Empire Life. We're a tech and digital marketing company supporting female founders in scaling their online businesses. And we interview female founders from all around the world about how they redefine their success and their mindset hacks, different kind of powerhouse women strategies that they've had, and really diving deep and getting to know them more and how they got to where they are now. And today we are with Rebecca Capps. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist committed to helping clients feel good about their body and happy in life without food guilt or dieting. She's, she named her practice Mind Body Thrive because she takes a holistic approach and believes that in order to thrive, one must consider both mind and body. Rebecca lives near the beach in Santa Barbara. We're all jealous. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> With her husband and one-year-old son, Rowan, which I love that name too. Thank oh my gosh. you. And I would love to hand it over to Rebecca a little bit more to introduce herself and say hi. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. And you touched a lot on what I do. I'm an eating disorder professional. I help my clients to feel better in their mind and body so that they can thrive in life. Because I truly believe that regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you've been through, you absolutely can thrive. I help women who are they're people pleasers, they're perfectionists, and they strive for control. And they do this in a host of unsavory kind of ways, whether it's binging, purging, alcohol abuse, things like that. And I, I have a very personal connection to this because I started my journey when I was 11 years old. I had a life-threatening eating disorder that landed me in the hospital for a few months. And I learned a lot about the journey, what works, what doesn't work. And I feel very passionate, a lot of passion about helping women who want to feel better. That's why I'm here. <laughs> and I want to dive really deep into your story as much as we can. All the right. time that we have allotted, Rebecca, because it, do you know the percentages of I think I, yeah, can you, yeah, I'll dive like, into that. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, I feel like I read somewhere that it was three out of five. I'm trying to remember a yeah. woman who have experienced so, an eating disorder at some point in their life. And I'm talking about American women because we're right, based in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It kind of vacillates. It's anywhere from one in four, one in five. So good memory suffer from an eating disorder and 20% um, of Americans who have an eating disorder will eventually die from medical complications or suicide because the suicide rate is very high. So it makes the mortality rate the highest out of all of the mental conditions. It's a staggering number and it's very difficult to treat. You often need a treatment team and to really stabilize individuals medically first. Yeah, so it, the numbers are pretty amazingly high and this is the other pandemic we should be talking about in my opinion. We spend $61 billion a year, B with a you know, billion, not million, just on diet products alone. So that should tell you something about our culture and what we value. But, true. It, but it wasn't just like, I would say, for me at least, it wasn't just about, I wanted to look good or to be on like a cheerleading team. For me, it was trauma and also much just like my environment. I, genetics and environment play very large roles in this. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, I, there's this term, it's genetics loads the gun, but it's the environment that pulls the trigger. And I very much found that to be true for myself. You have like people who who have an eating disorder, it's likely that they had like a grandma or a mom who also suffered from an eating disorder. And my grandma was yo-yo dieting all of her life. And then I, as far as trauma is concerned, my father, not to get too into it, but he, he suffered from a lot of paranoia and sometimes psychosis, just extreme mental health conditions, even though he's like this reputable businessman, physician, 
he was also building like a bomb shelter in my childhood home. Like try explaining that to the kids at school. Like he just, he was a little out there, let's just say. And then he died from pancreatic cancer and there was just a lot of chaos in my home. So not eating through starvation, it was like a temporary refuge or a way for me to control my external stimuli and the emotions that I was feeling from a day-to-day basis. And I had zero coping skills at the time. So I understand. I'm, I have had a few clients, well, more than a, a handful of clients that have shared with me that they've recovered from an eating disorder that then led them into you know, their path of really wanting to be there for women as they start feeling more comfortable, confident in their bodies and mm-hmm. living vicariously through them. I myself have not been through that exact experience I've, I've been through other kind of addiction experiences mm-hmm. um through it, seeing those in my family and analyzing and um one of my ex-husbands had two mental I've been married twice and he mm-hmm. had two mental illnesses and so I completely agree with you that you know he had that in his genetic makeup and mm-hmm. it was the environment then that pulled the trigger, like you said, yes. it, was, it was exactly like that because there was years of happily being married and then mm-hmm. it came in his uh, early thirties and it was a, a big change or he, he and I had a big move and mm-hmm. all of a sudden all the, the whole environment was different and he didn't feel like he had control of his environment anymore. Mm-hmm. And it, that was the definitely on the surface is definitely describes what you were saying that it was already there and for us to be aware in in my family there's already addiction there and have obsessive uh obsessive need to control things (laughs) so i feel like being aware of those and correct me if i'm wrong that that might be one of the first best steps is saying this is there and if I get like out of, if I start having too much of, of something and I feel like, oh my gosh, I need to kind of pull back because I could get addicted to this. I, I kind of have that in the back of my head after analyzing and seeing that in my own family. Absolutely. Yeah. Awareness is always going to be the first step in anything in life and business and like your personal relationship. I, I, I can't, let me pause. So yeah, we we were talking about how Rebecca, maybe for a takeaway for those of you listening, what would you feel like is one of the first steps to starting the healing process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. It's all about building that awareness and building that presence because your presence is your power. It's your superpower. And so is vulnerability. I know that in our culture, especially vulnerability might not be a thing. I know that Brene Brown has come on the scene and she's making it a thing, but vulnerability is, is where it's the opening into our truth and our healing. So getting vulnerable with trusted professionals and friends, people who can help you to critically analyze the things that are working and also not working in your life. And then you can iterate accordingly. I have had a lot of therapy in my day and I'm a big advocate of such a thing because it's a confidential, safe space for you to find tools to apply evidence-based tools into your everyday life so that you can not only function, but to thrive. Yeah, so that's kind of, those are my thoughts. I think awareness is definitely the first step. Mm-hmm. And when people, I love everything that you just said, and I wanted to, to dive a little deeper too. And if you're listening to this and you start to have awareness that it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a label that you're going to carry for the rest of your life. You might actually out, is that true? You might actually outgrow some of the things Mm -hmm. that you may be going through right now as, as opposed to thinking, well, I have this, I am this. Mm. And yes. that's the, that's the worry for me. I feel 
as a parent now too, is that this generation or Gen Z, as I, I'm a millennial and I have a Gen Z and this new, they're much more aware of their mental health than I feel like the last three generations are. And they're much more likely to say, well, maybe I have this and how can I, with the awareness that there's no stigma around it. At the same time, I feel like saying, I am this, it may, we may be embodying it. And when we actually, once we become aware and we start implementing steps, we might even not be aware or have it anymore. Do you, do you find that to be true? I do think that there are two schools of thought. Some people are like, yes, I finally have this diagnosis, this label that's going to tell me all of why I'm suffering. And it's important, obviously, for insurance purposes and all kinds of behind the scenes. But I, I tend to agree with you in that like the label needn't be the first and forefront of the treatment. Like we are not our diagnosis. We are who we choose to be. Um, I know that in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to identify as an alcoholic, but that's only one part of your story. Who are you? Who, who do you wanna be in the world? What do you want to create? What excites you? Focus on what you want to expand. It's like that like attracts like, like law of attraction almost thing. That's what I like to focus on with clients instead of just their disorder. I completely agree. And for seeing some addiction in my family, I aim, I've, I've heard some family members say, well, that person is sick. You know, that person has this. Hmm. And I aim to guide them, even though I'm not a licensed therapist, yeah. right? But coach. I, yeah. I, I are coaching them through, they might be having a lot of different layers going on underneath that like we were talking about before mm -hmm. of the trauma that they're stuffing, they're stuffing it down or masking it with a drug or alcohol or coffee or some, something addictive right. that then that kind of mask and keep pushing it down. And every now and then you might see a glimpse of that trauma with their response or their triggers, but you know that, or I feel as a really intuitive person, sometimes mm -hmm. I can even feel that there's a lot there underneath, but then yeah. it's for them to, to decide when they want to open that can of worms, <laughs> the longer we wait, right. the bigger the can of worms is going to be right. Oh my gosh. That is so <laughs> true. Yeah. You can just sense it on someone when they they're dealing with that heavy behind the scenes mm -hmm. trauma or the feelings of low self-worth, uh, but you have to really meet that client where they're at instead of being like, hey, this is what you need. So I love the coaching framework because I'm also a coach because it's very much like I'm on the bike with you. Like we're, where are we going? Instead of the therapeutic approach can often be like very hierarchical and top down and very grounded in theories. So it is kind of nice these days. I've been doing more coaching and doing some of that because especially now that we're online too, treating eating disorders, they should mostly be in person. I'm, I'm of that opinion for like the ethics of things. Mm -hmm. mm. I had never thought about that before. So you, 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 sign, you see that you have a lot better results when they start in person. Well, it just depends if they are like actively needing a medical team that, that I will do in person. Mm -hmm. But right now I've been focused on like building coaching programs for the mm -hmm. woman who's, she's not like active in like a <clears throat> diagnosable kind of eating disorder, but she feels like she's still t stuck to like the my fitness pal and thinking that she needs willpower mm -hmm. to get her through these diets that's very much the woman who i treat these days okay mm -hmm. well that's really fascinating i'm there's so like you said there's so much i would like to dive deeper but i want i want to get to know you a little bit more first too yeah. i would like to after that dive deeper into kind of unraveling some of that control 
that's underneath that because I think we don't it's so accepted or you know personally <laughs> I have kind of or I've been typed before by many therapists <laughs> it's like you're an overachiever type a mm-hmm. and while that like you said that doesn't make up everything of who I am I'm much more than that there's an overarching theme that I've heard repeatedly or personality test and underneath that there's an unraveling of delegation and control and being okay with asking for support and how to ask for support and I want to dive Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper into that after we get to know you a little bit more and with some of these experiences Rebecca I wanted to go little deeper into the layers of how you feel like they really made you the person that you are today and 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 that made you feel more confident secure in yourself and stronger in how you define strength it could be about the going through or recovering from eating disorder could be through uh, your therapy or any any experience that you would like to share yeah thank you for opening that up what I will say just to piggyback on what you were talking about, as far as like the type A, like all the therapists told you all that about yourself. It's a constant theme. Obviously it's, it's gotten you to where you are today. You're a successful businesswoman, uh, but you saw that that was probably out of balance. And for me, um, I had to look at my core schema. Why am I driving so hard? Why am I pushing? What, what is this need? Where is it coming from? And my core schema happened to be like the unworthiness trap or everyone's going to leave me when you just take away all the fluff like that. Those were the things that I was working with. And then once I knew that and was aware of these things, then I could work from there. And it, I wish I could say it was like this one thing, like God was parting the seas. It, it, I had to ground myself into daily acts of self-care and self-love And the things that began moving the needle for me was learning how to be in an embodied space, to really be in my body, to learn breath work, and to also understand cognitive distortions and things like cognitive behavioral therapy, because our thoughts really do play a large role in our behaviors and in how our life turns out, the thoughts that we hold. So a big common thing, especially for high achievers, perfectionists, they have the should statements. I should be doing this. I should be all the shoulds, shoulding all over yourself as the therapists say, right? And then there's like that black and white thinking, but really there, there are shades of gray and we've got to find how, out how to live in that shade, those shades of gray in our life. Because if we're always striving and always pushing due to our fear of unworthiness, that, that no one's going to love us if we don't have the plaque on the wall and all the things, that's, I mean, that's, you're missing the point. You want to have fun in your business. You want to be engaged and feeling electric, not drained. Your, your adrenals are going to be so shot, like just from like a purely physiological standpoint, I just like to look at health from not just talk therapy, but all perspectives. How's, how's your sleep? How's the, the water intake? Kind of the boring things, but that's, those are the things that really do move the needle and it's showing up for yourself day in and day out. And yeah, we all veer off course from time to time, but just pick yourself up and get on course again. That's it. That's kind of how I feel. And those are, those are personally things that you've been through. Yeah. I mean, I've been through, I've had a few, I would say big things that I, that shaped me would be my father's death. And then I had a boyfriend around this similar time who also died. Wow. And that really was the origination of when I started this schema of everyone's going to basically die on me or, or abandon me. And what's the point of even investing any kind of emotional energy because they're going to die or leave. Wow. Whether I was conscious of that or not, I, I don't think I was, but as I went to therapy more, I realized, okay, this is every thing that I see is from that 
lens. So I had to learn how to create a new narrative and to see that there are different possibilities for my life. But yeah, those were huge. And it also taught me that we are, we are on this earth for such a short amount of time. Why allow fear to rule my life? Like, yes, I, I still push myself out of my comfort zone and that's important, but that's healthy fear. It's not the fear that's like eating me up at night. Like, am I worthy to do these kinds of things? Like, or worrying about the next launch and what people are going to think about me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't keep me up at night. That's, that's amazing that you've transitioned into that and you, you have that kind of certainty around it and security and groundedness because I'm sure a lot of women listening to this, they are staying up all Mm -hmm. night or uh, I hear questions at least once a week or twice a week about, well, do I talk about my business on my personal Facebook page? Should I talk about it on my Instagram? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's part of you. <laughs> yeah. If they don't like it, they're going to not tune in anyways. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of, okay, like my business life is not like super at all separate. It's <laughs> one and the same of like my personal life. It's just an extension of it, if I have these two separate things, it's almost, I, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't keep up with it either. Yeah. And the beauty of it when it is mixed is they're getting to know you personally mm-hmm. and that encourages someone to want to invest and work with you. There's much more to, to us than just our business or just our family, you know, just personally. I, and, and we're not I, I self-promoting. Like, like I, I think for a lot of women, that's a dirty word of, I don't want to seem like I'm promoting myself or pushing my business down their throat. And I remind them of the algorithms that they may not even be seeing it anyways. And what is it like at least seven to 11 times you have to Mm -hmm. talk about a certain offer seven to 11 times. That's a lot of times for that person to even hear what you're saying. Yes, <laughs> that's for, for sure. So we feel like we're repeating ourselves and we're pushing it down their throat, but actually not in reality. That's not what's happening. I want to I tell your audience here, because I used to be, okay, look, I did stay up at night a long time ago with all this kind of stuff until I realized that sales literally translates to being of service. So if you're confident in your offering, and what you do and, and the transformation that you're giving your clients, then rem- remind yourself that this, you're being of service. And like, that would be awful if you kept that to yourself. <laughs> I completely <laughs> I agree. That's, that keeps me going. Uh-huh. Me this too. My check in or what I, I'm, I'm saying from personal, what I tell myself is like, check in, where's my integrity? My integrity mm-hmm. is in alignment here that I'm supporting them. And this is going to accelerate their success. Why wouldn't they want to know about it? <laughs> right. This is the benefit. It's a no brainer. It's, it's a win. <laughs> That's so cool. Exactly. And I want to move on to the next mm-hmm. question, Rebecca, in how do you feel like your morning routine benefits you so no we we talked about that a little bit offline and I would love to hear Mm. more about it too I really feel it if I don't tap into that morning routine and night routine so I'm pretty specific it doesn't have to be like so micro but I start off and I wake my baby up it's a fun little routine it's so sweet he's Mm -hmm. the greatest joy of my life and we go on a walk obviously I have coffee first I like four sigmatic because it they have, it's like the medicinal mushrooms. It's not everyone's jam, but I really like it. I love nootropics, things that are gonna just rev the brain and supercharge it. So I have my four sigmatic and then we go on a walk. I connect with my breath and nature. And I've been really, I gotta be honest, loving Clubhouse. So I listened to Clubhouse yesterday. I was listening to Amy Porterfield and just things like that. Yeah, just being inspired constantly by, other entrepreneurs love your podcast and what you're doing. So it's exciting to be here now. And what else? Um, I'm really into essential oils and just putting those on. Um, 
I don't know what else do I think that's pretty much it obviously do I you ever journal or I do I like journaling yeah. and at the end of the day I I do my gratitude list of at least yeah. three things because that also causes us to look at what what good came out of the day here instead of just always looking at what didn't go right it's okay to critically examine that too but we need to be attuned to what we already have in order to, but in order to have more. Why would we attract more in our life if we're just looking at what's wrong? I completely agree. I I'm in the habit of like three to five things too at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. and if I don't write them down, sometimes I'll say them out loud to myself or saying them in my head. I'm like, I'm so thankful that happened. And it could even be if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know. It's just too hard. Because, but it to, to say that it gets easier, like it's easier, and it starts to feel, it starts to become a habit, and. Right. It could even be something like I woke up today. I, I got out of my bed today because you've been feeling maybe depressed or, or anxious and that you got to work or you mm-hmm. just, you just got to wake up and to get up at a good That's time. That's a really great point. A lot of clients initially, they're, they kind of are deterred. They're like, there's nothing positive or it's hard to find gratitude. So especially about their body. So I tell them, from a purely like utilitarian perspective, what does your body do for you? Like, what is an objective thing? Yeah, like you said, it got me out of bed. I'm alive. I'm breathing. Whoop. Keep hitting this microphone. <laughs> so that is that is huge. Just at least being neutral and finding that neutral space. And this is like an attitudinal muscle that you're beginning to build. Just like when you go to a gym and you're building your actual muscles, this is the attitude and the mindset of the entrepreneur that you begin to flex too through this things like the gratitude list. Mm-hmm. For sure. And when there's something that I did I tell my teammates when they're giving feedback to another teammate, if I have a manager over a, a group or like the sales manager over a group of people on the team, it's like give and honor that person first. Mm-hmm. If you search for something that they've done and, and same in relationships, I feel like are with parenting. It's like first find something that you really love and then sandwich maybe <laughs> yeah. for that, like the sandwich method. I love that so much that you're employing that method. Cause I do like to tell my clients that as well. Like people are going to be far more inclined to listen to you and, and listen to your authority and your messaging. If you you start with what, what do you appreciate and love and highlight those things about them? And then you can go into the more critical feedback. Um, it's something also interesting. I know I had said in a previous relationship is like you, you can't be in negativity when you're in gratitude. You can't mm-hmm. be in both at the same time. That's right. So like exactly like what you said with the attitudinal, the yeah. adjustment that it starts getting you used to coming from that place. And mm-hmm. it might feel slightly uncomfortable because you want to say there's a, there's almost like a defense mechanism that I've seen. I, I don't feel like I have that in myself. It's like, you when you say to them I would really like you to say something that you're grateful for they're like I don't want to switch I'm so used to this I've worn this path it's like a really comfortable worn down like a comfortable pair of jeans and no I don't want to put on a different pair of jeans I'm so used to I've worn this this path down (laughs) this is my path and that's and then they're only coming from that angle and they're not it's it's very short-sighted they're like zoning out and looking at the whole big picture. I'm sure you see that in your practice. It's like only if you were able to see what I see, see this. I, and see know, that. I know. Oh, you would your whole yes. body just drop and you would be like, you would walk with so much more lightness and Amen to that. We're so identified and wrapped up in ego concerns and the identity of the ego. And that's what keeps us small and and feeling like we're always in our fear. I like how Eckhart Tolle, he always talks about how we are not our thoughts. We are the awareness behind our thoughts. So again, with the awareness theme is just building the awareness around your thoughts. And instead of directly just latching on, okay, 
is this evidence true? If not, like examining some of the cognitive distortions, like I mentioned earlier, and then learning how to reframe that is it's really important if you want to have a career that has longevity and fun that feels light. Like I love that you address that feeling light in the body and the soul. Mm -hmm. So true. And when people ask, is this true? Do you also ask them where might you have heard this before? Oh yeah. Oh (laughs) yeah. I try not to get like so Freudian, but it's like, and tell me about your childhood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, our, the first five years, especially, they're so critical for, they shape us for who we are and our beliefs. And oftentimes we've arrested a caregiver's voice, the mm-hmm. negative voice in, into our psyche. And it can be very challenging to overcome, but with that awareness and through not only like cognitive behavioral therapy and talk therapy, but embodiment and learning how to trust your own intuition and spiritual guidance is a part of this too. I like to ask my clients, what gives you faith? Hmm. What, what would you talk, like say to a friend? We are so hard on ourselves, but we're so kind to our friends. Why not talk to yourself the way in which you talk to your your friend, your best friend, or your child, things like that that are really That's important. That's a great question. What if they're coming from a place of being hard on on them too? On, on the child? Yeah, they're hard well, on. Well, then themselves. you're an asshole. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, I think it's it's about like in therapy we talk about like ego dystonic versus syntonic, and it's it. Do you see this as a problem? First, the the client has to see it as a problem, mm-hmm. the way they're talking to their child or mm-hmm. to themselves. So I work with them on that level about building the awareness and seeing how this could be setting themselves up, setting their child up for long-term repercussions, be it like that perfectionism. And I mean, fundamentally, a lot of client or parents teach their children that their love is conditional that they need to achieve and to be straight A students or else they don't get that kind of love. And uh, as a new mom, I do strive to show my son unconditional love, no matter what. And it's a very, it's a quite the journey, mother. (laughs) It's quite the journey. I have a teenager and I, I completely agree. It's quite the journey. We just yesterday, I was telling her, I feel like you're capable to make A's if you want to, at the same time, I'm always going to look at what's working for you or what's not working for you. And I'm always going to seek to find what's the best fit for you. So I'm not defining you that, okay, well, if you're not, if you're not doing X, Y, Z, then you're like this, or you're just a loser. (laughs) Right. Like just labeling. Yeah. No labeling. We're here to be flexible. We're here to, to incorporate new strategies and mm-hmm. play with those and see how those work because it's about that's what it's about mm-hmm. yeah and kids they sure don't learn the same everyone has different aptitudes I know that's the case for me I in perfect like transparency here I did struggle with like math when I was younger and obviously you have to get through it and like I did all the statistics and things like that in college but it was not without struggle and I just, I wish we could change the educational system. I guess we are with like the advent of like digital courses and things like that, but Mm -hmm. for specifically children and things like that, ah, it's tough. But today I outsource tasks like, you know, bookkeeping and all, all that stuff. I do look at my numbers, but yeah, that was kind of rambly there, but I, no, I, I love it. I, you know, in, in full transparency, I struggled a lot with writing and English and mm-hmm. I always found a math and science to be, okay, that's all the, that's the only class I want to go to. I don't even like the other ones. It's like yeah. torturous. Oh I was always jealous of your type. Like you're so <laughs> analytical and you, 
it just, yeah, I was the, I am the very creative. Like I love writing and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we have to find people like ourselves there (laughs) in our business and hire them. (laughs) Yes. That's, that's what I, I relate to what you said that is we have a new book coming out called Fine and or if you listen to this, it's probably already to the public with on March 10th, we're doing the full book launch. And I had three editors and probably the next, the series two, I'll have more. But I too went through every word of the book myself <laughs> and learned a lot about the editing process. <laughs> and I started to enjoy it. At the same time, I realized that that's not my superpower. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have so much respect for the editors on the team that we hired our new ones for the series two and the formatter who a separate person who got all the formatting and files together with the margins and so many, so many things wow. that she did with that. Uh, I have so much respect for that mm-hmm. utilizing that side of the brain and getting and part of my superpower is getting those ladies together and having us share our story and promoting them on my platform and building the community in that way. I love that about you. I love everything that you represent in your business and the fact that you are putting women at the center here and boosting us up and we should throw our hat in the ring in business. Like why not? The time is now. The time is now. For sure. And when we see another woman throwing their hat in the ring, mm-hmm. like to reach back or send the elevator down or get on. Yes. I was asked the other day on Clubhouse, I've been hosting a room every Monday and that came up on one of my rooms. It's like, what, what is a successful woman? What does that look like? And one of my definitions was that she reaches her hand back at the same time, in order to be that woman who can reach your hand back and bring people or pick up someone else's hat, you need to be comfortable also. I mean, I need to be comfortable also in admitting the areas where I need to reach forward and take someone else's hand and like mm-hmm. delegation that we were talking about before and saying, you know what, I, I'm not the best at editing. Yeah, I can do 100 hours on this right. Or I can pay somebody who loves yes. doing this, who, who's already done so many successful mm-hmm. books and knows what they're doing. How would that feel? And that feels good. <laughs> it does feel good, doesn't it? It's nice when we get to that phase in our business, because I, I, I can only speak for myself, but in the beginning, I was wearing every single hat, the bookkeeping hat that I was talking about earlier that now I delegate. And it is so magical to have someone else do those things so that we can focus on our zone of genius and continue creating and putting things out there in the world that not only lights us up, but our client, our communities. Yes. And also realizing something that came up today, even though we had a handful of editors, there's still a few mistakes in the book. And you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> Good for you. you know? so I'm cool. I'm mm-hmm. cool with that. One of my friends who is extremely gifted in writing pointed that out to me today. Is, um, we've, we've offered a few people a sneak peek that they could grab mm-hmm. it early. And I said, you know, done is better than perfect. I'm sure it'll be even better the next time. And like you, mm-hmm. you maybe should have seen it before those three editors. <laughs> you wanted to see it. This actually makes me realize how far you have come from when those therapists were telling you about all the the type A stuff. Like you're like, you're right. Done is better than perfect. That is a great mantra. I look back at some of the videos I did even like two years ago and oh, the blasphemy is really bad. But in order to get to here, we have to walk through the discomfort and the kind of fumbling around. It's just how it is. It's true. And, and not to call out anyone, but uh, the same people who say things like that, or this, this um, same really good friend, she's been wanting to publish a book for a long time. Mm. And that, you know, that kind of thinking Mm -hmm. that might actually, and I'm sure she will. I think that this, me go through the process, she's feeling really inspired and 
that's all I can do is like you know, <laughs> done is better than perfect and and kind of laugh laugh it off and I'm okay with that that that's I'm sure there are <laughs> right and, and also the accountability of having other authors in the book it was like this has got it this is this is go time mm-hmm. like there's no there's no more stalling here right. we've done right. everything we can to make it the best we can and all these ladies are relying on me there's a they've all paid a fee to be in the book. Like there's a huge accountability in my leadership to get it done. And they, they're all supportive too. Like, yeah, let's go. It's go time. (laughs) It's go time. (laughs) I agree like that. When you have other people who have skin in the game involved, then there's really no other way, but to go forward with things. Mm -hmm. Good for you. And that's it. That leads us into our next question, Rebecca, is the well, so perfectionism can also be resistance, in my opinion. And, and like, uh, speaking from experience, and I, and I have been told numerous times in every personality test, you know, like, like I was saying, <laughs> well, uh, I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. Are you really mm-hmm. into the Myers-Briggs? I'm an INFP. <laughs> INFP. Oh, that's really, that's like I'm the opposite. so introverted, yeah. <laughs> that's every letter is the opposite. That's so funny. Yeah, because you're like the analytical, you like, <laughs> that's so funny. It's supposed to be my best match or INTP, INFP. <laughs> and that's beautiful. My my daughter is an INTJ, so it's very mm-hmm. kind of close to yours. Um so INFP, that's beautiful to share. I would love to hear more about that too. I, I, I know you guys are really in touch with your emotions and how you're feeling through the situation and very aware of how other people are feeling around you and probably the best thing to say. And that, that I definitely don't have that kind of filter a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Please don't take that person. Right. So, yeah. Just say it like it is. Mm-hmm. I've learned that not everyone likes that kind of communication style. So I need to kind of process a little bit more in my, in my thinking and analyze first or write it down or. And like on my end, my types, it's learning how to have a little bit thicker skin. I just posted something on my Instagram before. It was like, keep your heart soft, but you're, you're thin, you're thin, your skin, skin thick, if I can talk. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. So there's something to be said. There's an alchemy between the two types here. Mm-hmm. And there's always something to be learned in relationships. There is. I, I need, um, I think at some points in my life, to be honest, I've had a I've always had a very thick skin and a lot of situations have helped me to have even thicker skin, not take mm-hmm. things personally. But like you said, there's that balance that then harden your heart or you know, mm-hmm. your heart. And then people feel that, you know, there has to be some level of vulnerability when you're mm-hmm. also in coaching. Oh yeah. We, like we can't be seen as we're just non-human. Like we're not, we're not super human. <laughs> You bring up such a good point here because at least in graduate school, they teach you as a therapist to be a tabula rasa or a blank slate. And I think like, yes, you don't want your therapist like just projecting their own stuff on you during session. But I have personally found that it is a really good thing to show your personality, to have some opinion instead of just this, oh yeah, what do you think? Like, tell me more. Like there's gotta be yeah, just the personality. And I would think that would be the case in any kind of business too. I agree. Yeah. And and what do you do when you feel some kind of, well, it could be even resistance when you're coaching someone, you're like, oh my gosh, this, um, I I don't know what to, not, not that you don't know what to say to this person, but like how there may be some resistance. And is this a really a person I want to work through this with? Right. Or, but, and is that sometimes a resistance in yourself? I'm curious. Or Really, really, really good question here. And I'd like to lean into that and really examine it because if someone is truly that triggering, we call it transference, counter-transference, 
it's it's best to talk to a colleague, talk it out and see if like this person is even a right fit. And if they aren't, then you you refer them out because that would be the best for both parties. I think that's part of being an entrepreneur as well, knowing not only who you want to serve, but who you don't want to serve and being very clear about those kind of boundaries and understandings. I love that. It, but at the same time, you know, we all need to make money. True. So there's, like, <laughs> there's the balance because I've heard mm-hmm. some of my clients that when I tell that to them, they're like, oh, well, but I know I can help everybody. I want to help everyone. I know I have something for them. So I, I tell them something along the lines of you can have like a mini offer for them. You can have a smaller package for people that mm-hmm. you're not sure or the best fit to work with you. But at the same time, you're wanting to lead your ideal client. They may get, get the mini offer and then they're leaning in to then investing more. So that's right. also tricky too. It's probably better just to say, you know what? It's not a good fit. I like that you kind of buffer it and like, well, you can do the mini offerings. It's not just like all or nothing, like nothing is. We talked about that earlier. There are shades of gray, but in business, we have to think about who, who lights us up? Who are we best at serving? Really getting clear on that. And then through things like permission-based marketing, I love like people like Donald Miller and who else? Um, there's just so many entrepreneurs I really love. Amy Porterfield, yourself, where instead of like chasing all these different people, we're, our messaging is specifically tailored towards that identified client. And then you're not even having to deal with taking all these different types of clients, you know, and are attracting the exact kind of woman or man, whoever your person is, that, that again, lights you up. I think it's really important, but I know I, and I understand the fear of wanting to get really specific. I think that's a very common thing in the beginning, but from my own experience, the clearer I got and more micro with my specialization, uh, the better, because you don't just, like when I think of a therapist who specializes in everything, which basically means specializing in nothing, like I don't know who to refer them to, like my clients, why would I refer to that? Instead, if someone specializes in sex therapy and trauma, then I'm knowing who to actually like send clients to. Mm-hmm. So those are things to definitely consider as well. That's so true. I love that. And I, yeah, this is, I, I don't, I can't even say it in a better way that I tell my clients to niching down means that you're going to find they're going to, it's easier for them to find you. And then if they're not a good fit, like you said, they can refer out. And I also give them examples about, so I'm really into Google analytics and SEO and on the back yeah. end, we can see with people are more likely to hop off. So they're going to spend less time. So it's like, do you want people to spend less time on your pages? Because Mm -hmm. if they don't, and they're not going to tell you, you're going to, we're just going to see it in the, in the back end. We're Mm going to see that they're hopping off. So so they're not going to say, Hey, I couldn't really figure out what you did. So I left. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Right. Like when you confuse, you lose. Mm-hmm. It's just the truth. And just like with your website, making it so clear, how can this person work with you? I, if I'm going to have to look around and find a button or figure things out, I'm gone. I'm out of there. <laughs> what is that? The bounce rate? I'm not. A, yes, it's bounce. the bounce rate. Yeah. It's like, oh no. And then we look at the, the, what the page that has, and I can show them that too. Uh-huh. Because I've had clients before or also with their Facebook ads. So we have done for you services where we do those as well, or we guide them on how to do them themselves. Those kind of two different tracks. But with, Mm -hmm. I remember I had a client and we were doing her Facebook ads and she told me, I I don't know if I'm for women or I'm for men. And, and I said, I'm pretty sure that you're you you come you know self-identifying women I feel like would connect with you more Mm -hmm. well I don't know I I haven't ever I haven't ever made that distinction that feels really vulnerable really scary for me I don't know I don't think so and then when we started running her Facebook ad I said 
let's just see if it's more women or it's more men that are going to tune into it and that go through it resonate make comments Mm -hmm. we're gonna see and then i showed her the analytics and it was like 98 (laughs) oh my gosh women (laughs) and also in a certain age range and like okay this is your target client are are you with me are we like on the same page she's like okay yes okay (laughs) i want to say i want to take a pause and appreciate you because that's a perfect example of how you met her where she was at instead of saying i know exactly who your like person is you were like well let's just look at the numbers and the numbers did show yes and then (laughs) she was able to feel more comfortable and confident secure and all right because every other con every piece of content so like you were saying going back to the main point every piece of content she was putting out was to everybody everywhere mm-hmm. oh my gosh <laughs> and then she was wondering why am I not having more clients right why are more people not reaching out to me wanting to work with me or I'm not ha- disconnecting and, and then mm-hmm. when she saw that in the back end and we were screen sharing and she was able to say to herself and own it this is my ideal client this is who my avatar mm-hmm. is these women that are of this age group and a lot of other different interests that they, that those women have, like they love Marie Forleo, for example, yeah. or Amy Porterfield. They feel love really them. connected, and that those are my people. And you know what? Now I'm only going to talk to those people. Mm. And then she started like to, her Facebook ad started getting a lot more comments, traction. You know, enrolling people in her programs. So it's, it's beautiful that one. I feel like there could be a lot of resistance, like you said, and come up with that. I couldn't agree more. I see, and this is no, this isn't to diss anyone, but it's very common. If you go on Instagram and like the bio, it's like, I help people step into their power. I have no idea what that means. Like, who, do you help CPAs to, or do you help coaches create more sales? Like what does stepping into your power mean and who are you talking to? So those are the little things that we can begin looking at. Like even just like looking at your Instagram or Facebook bio, is it really clear your offering? I think I might do a clubhouse room on that at some point, like it, uh, website audits. Mm-hmm. That's so important. It's, it's, it's fun. Well, I do it anyway. It's fun for yeah. me. And I, and I want to hear their feedback too. I'm always wanting to hear feedback. It, it was interesting. One of my parents said to me, they went to my website and there is a pop-up that comes up for a free mm-hmm. course. And they said, oh, that was really confusing to me. The pop-up? <laughs> pop-up. You can just close it. But I don't know. Was I supposed to do something with that? <laughs> it was cute. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a generational thing too. Yeah. Uh, the, they said, I, we were not, my mom was like, I'm not trying to upset you. It was like, no, tell me anytime if you don't see a link that works or anything, mm-hmm, I'm right. always open to your feedback. You got that thick skin. Because like <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of my other siblings, they, they can't say anything too, you know, it's like there would be an uproar and they wouldn't talk to them for a while. And so they, they felt that she felt she needed to paraphrase that. I, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm like, you don't even need to say that. Just tell mm-hmm. me. Anytime you yeah. <laughs> You're like, thank you. I, cause it's because you cherish growth and you've worked on your mindset and you continue to work on your mindset. And that's why it's okay. And it's okay to also do the progress, not perfection thing. Like with your book you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So we're just always working on ourselves, myself included. <laughs> I wanted to also jump to a question about like what some of those traits that we're talking about, which Mm -hmm. ones do you feel like have really helped you throughout your entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, gosh, great, great question. Uh, I would say I realize that mindset is like 90% of it. So anytime some kind of negative automatic thought comes up. I just have this process where I notice it, notice the emotions that I'm holding in my body, notice the cognitive distortions, and then reframe them. 
So mindset is a big one. And then like we talked about before, delegating tasks so that I can stay in my zone of genius, doing my market research with um, my identified clients because I wanna gather as much information as possible about my clients' needs and their preferences and their pain points. That's a big one for the entrepreneur who wants to be successful. What else? Um, building the product suite. That's what I've been focusing on now to take my business into this scalable realm because as a therapist, you know, we see all, all kinds of clients, like some eight, eight clients a day. And that's not where I'm at. I'm a new mom here. I don't want to see eight clients a day and that's okay. So I'm focused on building these digital products and having this value ladder is what they call it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Where at each entry point that the client comes in, whatever course they take, then once they do that, they can graduate to the next and they go down a very well thought out, comprehensive, almost like funnel of how to work with me. And that's, it's fun. It's fun to create that. And I guess the other thing, this leads me to having fun. We, nothing, no systems, no automations are going to help you if you don't like what you do, if it doesn't light you up. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big one. And then just developing resilience and turning, for me, it was about turning my wounds into wisdom. I cannot even begin to tell you how grateful and exciting it is to see that, you know, from sitting in my in the hospital at 11 years old, not knowing if I was gonna live, to now and helping women to feel good in their mind and body, to actually feel good and to thrive, this is one of the greatest gifts next to my son and obviously my husband that I could ever even, I couldn't have even thought of this. It's just divine. It really is. And it's exciting. So I, I was rambly too, but that's really what I would say has kept me going and keeps me successful. Cause you have to also have, have a pro a product and service that's of high quality and actually getting results too. That's for sure. And that meets those pain points, like you said, and it's very mm -hmm. clear on where you're taking them, like what, what they're, all right, I like to say what their desired outcome is, mm -hmm. you're, you're yes. going to give that to them based on your ideal client. Exactly. And you start with the end in mind when you're considering your offers, like, what kind of transformation are they seeking? How do they want to feel? Not, not of how, what you think like this, you really, I, I cannot iterate, reiterate this enough. It's the market research, get on the phone, talk to these people, do as much of that as possible. I completely agree. That's like the second step in my client's journey. A lot of them, mm -hmm. and I describe it like eating your broccoli. <laughs> you don't want to do it. <laughs> right. I know. But if you skip that step, mm. yes. You yeah. can't just eat cake. Just don't do it. Yeah. It's not uh -uh. like you can eat cake all day. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> no. You like it. I like it. But right. that's, that's like eating your vegetables. You won't feel good if it's just <laughs> cake. So I, I get that very much. I bet I'm, I want to hear your thoughts, but like in hosting these clubhouse rooms, is that almost like market research for you as well? For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was interesting last night's room one of the ladies, I, I'm starting to understand that there's key words that I look for or ways that a woman might describe themselves that mm -hmm. believe that that's my ideal client. There's certain phrases right. that they identify with, such as I have all the balls in the air and I just feel like I can't keep juggling all these balls or I do all the things and I know that I have to stop doing all the things. That is such a good point too. It's like how they actually talk about it. Mm -hmm. Even though you might be talking about the same thing to connect with the copy, it has to be from their actual, like their words, their, from their, their mouth. It's, that makes a lot of sense to me. It does. And something I like to think about too, or I, I tell clients is you need to be even one step or two steps ahead in mm -hmm. your mindset to be able to turn around and support them 
So like when you're writing the copy, like you're saying, right. You may not, I may not be thinking I'm okay with not doing all the things, <laughs> but that's exactly what my ideal client's going to say to me or what they're feeling right now in this moment. Mm-hmm. They know I could do all the things I've been doing all the things really successfully for a long time. And then when someone else, there's also someone else in the audience yesterday said something to this particular lady and that I felt like was embodying my, who my ideal client is. And she said, you know, it seems like there, there might be like a lack of mindset because you're not, you're not like going into abundance here. If you're, if you're afraid to kind of hand off things, you might be preventing Mm -hmm. all the abundance that's on the other side of that. And that lady did was not ready to hear it yet. She said, I I got no, I know I'm good at doing all the things. I got everything figured out right now. And so maybe, you know, being aware of who we're talking to, because I, I was understanding that she needs to be given immediate resources. Okay. You know, this thing over here, you can hand off to this person or my company, this thing over here. And then that will save you like 20 hours right there to then focus on what you want to do. That's a, a mindset shift, shift, not telling her that she can't do it. No, I right. know you can do it. I know you got to figure it out. And you know what? That's going to benefit you that you have some of that figured out. Because then when you bring someone onto your team, you can say, this is clearly what I want to have done. And I know <laughs> that I can have these results because I already had them myself. So it's yes. not like you've wasted your time. There's a benefit in trying to figure out all the things, but there's a certain point when you're just, you're bumping up against burnout. You're about mm-hmm. to hit the glass ceiling. That's your own making because you right. can only do so much. And if you don't do something now, and one question that one of my mentors asked me one time is like, if you keep doing all the things that you're doing right now and you get five new clients this week, what's going to happen? Mm. I'm going to crash and burn, but don't change. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my transparent answer. That was mm-hmm. the truth. That, that was uh, almost a year ago. It's like, I need this. Well, okay. So you're going to crash and burn. Who do you need to bring on your team? It's going to prevent you from crashing and burning. What things can you yeah. do? Oh my gosh. Get real with ourselves. You're really speaking my language here because anytime <laughs> I, I knew that you were, you're a constant constant consummate professional and a true businesswoman when we first got on the phone because you were like me and my team like anyone who has a team and knows the beauty behind delegating I mean that's really what's going to help you move the needle and to take it from a good business to a great business to a truly thriving business good for you thank you (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> those SOPs. Wow. I have a lot of templates for them. If you're listening to those. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Once you start making them, you realize why people don't delegate sooner because mm-hmm. trying to like the brain dump of trying to take everything that you've been doing in your head and put that into something that someone can understand what the heck right. you're saying. <laughs> There's, and so being okay with the, my most recent hire that I brought onto the team, she had about 30 questions based on my SOPs. And I welcome those because then mm-hmm. that helps me to make things more clear for the next person. So right. see it at, like, I see it as a living document. It can be altered. It can, it can be flexible. Like let mm-hmm. the people also on your team give you, be open to hearing that feedback. Uh, oh, this can Oh, I, I probably could have communicated that a little bit more clear. You know, you're the first person I've made this for. So right, right. get better as things go along. Even though like we systematize and automate, which is so crucial and important, there still is a humanistic side of things. Like I know that we could automate DMs and Instagram, but doesn't mean we should. Like we yes. still are in the DMs and talking to our ideal clients and to our team members. So yeah, you bring up a good point with that. That's very true. I have done that before. Mm -hmm. I have automated them and Mm -hmm. 
I definitely see that it's better when there's a human approach. Definitely I, works better. And I, I want to backtrack a little, like I'm not saying it's all bad, but there, there needs to be and like the humanistic side, right? For sure. If you want to make sales, authentic sales and really feel good mm-hmm. about it and understand if that person's a good fit for you, there needs to be a human hand and a human approach in it at some point in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And before I was loving this conversation, Rebecca, before we it's fun. In, yeah, it's super fun. As we as we're wrapping up, I would love for you to give the audience like two to three, if, if it's one mm-hmm. or two or three really solid strategies that you utilize in your business that you feel like you wish you had known mm-hmm. and or that you do on a daily basis. Yes. The first one is just definitely know your why. Why are you doing this? Because the how and all the things, the roadmap to get there, you'll get there. But if if you don't have the why, then it's a much harder to get there because you just won't have that why to get you through those harder times. Um, so that's number one. Number two, please please do yourself a favor and think about specializing and niching down niche, niche, whichever way you pronounce it. The niches are in the riches. It's, it's just going to hone your craft and make you that much more of a professional. And do not, and I repeat, do not be afraid of investing in yourself. I think back to the times when I was making those uncomfortable investments but had I not done that, hired the business coach, hired the therapist, whatever, I wouldn't be here today speaking with you and making the kind of difference and money that I do today. So think of it as something that you will, it's like a long-term investment and it's only going to make you better. Follow people who are already living the way in which you want to live, who are already building these beautiful businesses, who have the strategy, who have the mindset, and who can coach you on how to get there. <laughs> those would be my tips. Wow, I love it. I completely agree with all of those for sure. I mean, and looking back on on my business, I wish I had had mentors sooner. Mm-hmm. I this is my third tech, and not digital marketing, but this is my third tech company, and I. I think I was more on the side, like in the first few months, I was seeking mentorship with Empire Life, but in my previous two companies, that was something that I wasn't so good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it shows, look at you, (laughs) look at you today. I love what you're doing. It's really exciting to connect and cannot wait to read your book. Oh, yay. I can't wait for you too. Yeah. Aren't you, you're hosting something on Clubhouse, like in, on the 10th, I think I saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. March 10th. And then we have also a virtual summit on March 20th. Perfect. (laughs) Count me in. (laughs) Yay. And how can people find you? What is your Instagram handle or or where? Yeah, I do hang out on Instagram the most. I'd say Uh, Rebecca Caps Counseling is my Instagram handle. I also have a Facebook group, the Mind Body Thrive Tribe. So if you wanna join in on that, it's a nice safe space for women who crave food and body freedom, body image. And then if you have any questions, feel free to message me at Rebecca at mindbodythrive.com. Okay, perfect. And that'll definitely be in the show notes too. Great, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you Rebecca for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me.